Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26 to verse 38. I'm sure if you grew up in church, this passage is very, very familiar uh, for you guys. You read it every Christmas, and then you've probably seen it play out every other year in your church. Okay? And I hope tonight, even though this story is very familiar for you guys, that you will not lose sight of the beauty and the breathtaking of what happened in that day 2,000 years ago. Let's read together from verse 26 to verse 38 in kind of three. One, two, three. In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we just read. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful, wonderful story that happened many, many years ago. And we believe that this is not a myth, but this is actually something that happened. And because of that, we have very, very reason to have hope, no matter what kind of circumstance, no matter what kind of year we experience throughout 2020, Lord. We believe, we believe that there is hope because you, God, came into our mess to save us from the mess of this world. And that's been proven once and for all, that you are faithful to us. And that is the reason that we can be confident that no matter what, that you are with us. So speak to us today, Lord. Uh, use my limited word, use my um, weak word to express your unlimited, your strength to your people, God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Merry Christmas. So we are celebrating Christmas today. Two days late, uh, but better late than ever. Now, does anyone wish they could go on a holiday trip this Christmas? Anyone? Raise your hand. If you wish you're on a holiday right now, okay? Usually during the month of December and January, I did not get to see many of your faces. So I'm actually happy that I do get to see some of your faces, right? So I'm one of those people who are actually happy that you guys cannot go on a holiday. I know, I know it sounds bad, but I'm just going to be honest. This is very different because most of you are not able to go on a holiday, not because you do not want to, but because you cannot. And, but let's talk about holiday trip for a little bit, right? So let's reminisce and imagine if we go on a holiday trip. When we talk about holiday trip, usually there are two kinds of people. First, the planners. Okay, you guys know who you are. The moment I say that, you guys, oh, that's me, right? Who are the planners? 
These are the people who already mapped out their holiday weeks prior to their holiday. So if they go on a holiday to Europe, they already know exactly what they're going to do on Monday between 3 to 5 because it's written on their spreadsheet, okay? They know which site to visit. They know which restaurant to try. They even know what clothes to wear that day. And they even have blocks dedicated on their spreadsheet, say, resting time, okay? Some people are like that. So basically, their idea of holiday is they try to cram as much as possible in one single day. They do not want us to waste a single day in their holiday. Okay, that's the first time, the planners. Spreadsheet is their best friend. But the second type is the easygoers. Okay, who are the easygoers? The easygoers, when they are on a holiday, they are on a holiday. They don't have a plan. I mean, they have rough idea where to visit and what to eat, and, but you know, they're very carefree and very flexible. So for them, holiday is a time for them to relax and basically just to enjoy life and lay back. So if they offer sleep and they woke up at 1 and they leave the hotel at 2 p.m., they do not freak out. For them, it's okay to get one thing done as long as they have a time of leisure as much as possible. Okay, quick question. How many of you are the planner stuff? Just the planners, raise your hand. Towards the more the planner stuff, okay? Keep your hands high and raise. If you're single and easygoers, look around now because you need these people in your life, okay? These are the people that make your life organized somehow, okay? If easygoer married easygoer, life's going to be messy, okay? You need a planners. But usually what happens for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I don't know why, these two different types usually attract one another, get married, and then they fight on the holiday trip, okay? Let me tell you, that's called marriage, okay? That's a true story. And in our passage today, we find a young girl who probably already have planned for her life. I mean, her plan is not to change the world. Okay, she's not that, you know, ambitious. Her plan is possibly just a regular daily plan because who she, who she is is she's an unknown girl who lives in an unknown city in the middle of nowhere. So basically, this girl is a nobody. And her plan for her life is pretty much just to get married to her fiancé and probably have children. So her plan in life is she just want to be an ordinary wife and mother to her children. But then one day out of nowhere, out of the blue, suddenly God gave her a surprise gift. And at first, she doesn't know what to do with the gift. Okay? She's confused. Okay, what is this gift? Okay? She's confused. She's greatly troubled by it. But then she accepts that gift. And the moment she accepts that gift, her life changed forever. And I believe if we accept that same gift, all our plans are changed forever. Now, I have no idea what your plan was for 2020, but I do know all of us are forced to change our plan, correct? This is the year that all of us have to change our plan. Some of you plan to go on a holiday this year. Some of you plan to get married. Some of you plan to get engaged. Some of you plan to have boyfriend or girlfriend. Some plan to start their own business. Some of you plan to have a new house or apartment. Some of you plan to walk down the aisle for your graduation. Or some of you did not plan to have kids this year. But if you know anything about 2020, this will be a year will be known as the year of unplanned child. Okay? Things happened in 2020 called COVID-19 that changed our plan. It does not matter who you are. COVID-19 affected us and made us change our plan. 
And I think the same can be said about Christmas. If we understand what happened at Christmas, Christmas changed our life plan forever. If you understand what happened, the gift of Christmas is radically changed everything about you. But the problem with this is this. If we're not careful, you and I become so familiar with Christmas story to the point that we're no longer staggered by it. Let me give you an example. And there's one time I went to my friend's house. He lived nearby the train station, train track. And I was sitting in the living room. And all of a sudden, you know, I hear this noise. You know that noise, right? And I was shocked. I surprised. I jumped to my feet and I was like, what's that noise? And to my surprise, the host said, what noise? Why? Because they got accustomed to that noise to the point that that noise become a white noise. They no longer see and hear the noise even though it's there. See, and that's the challenge of Christmas because whenever I talk about Christmas, you guys know the story, especially you grew up in church, to the point that we are no longer amazed by it. Another example. I don't know about you, but I realized this trend on my social media. I don't know why, but this year I saw tons and tons of Timothy Keller's quote on Christmas on my social media. Anyone else experience the same as me? I don't know why. I mean, like, is this Netflix, you know, the social dilemma is actually happening? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? Or everybody start to quote Keller and repost what Keller write on Christmas because it's everywhere, okay? And here's what happened. I realized this is what happened. Okay, at first, when I, when I read Keller's quote, I love it because he's my favorite grandpa, okay? He's our favorite grandpa. We love Keller. So when we read the quote, oh, it's amazing. But, you know, after a while, after a few quotes of Keller, you begin to skim through it. And at the end of the day, when I see, I see Keller's name at the quote, I don't read it. I just press next. Why? Because we get accustomed to it. We get so familiar with it. And the same way, if we're not careful, we get so familiar with Christmas to the point that we are no longer amazed what happened at Christmas. Our other grandpa, our second favorite grandpa, okay, says this, John Piper. This is what he said about Christmas. For some of you, he might be your favorite grandpa. For me, he's my second favorite grandpa. This is what he said about Christmas. Christmas is about the creator of the universe, who is not himself part of the universe, moving himself in the person of his son into the universe he made. And what makes this fact even more remarkable is that this created universe, the personal part of it, the more part of it, is in rebellion against his maker. And yet he came into the universe that he made in order to save those who are in active rebellion against him. Okay, I know this, this quote is staggering, but basically what Keller's saying, I mean, what Piper's saying, if you do not, are not amazed by Christmas, you do not understand what's happening. Because God of the universe himself came to us in the form of a baby. And if you understand this gift of Christmas, it changes everything about us. Okay? So I have four points to my sermon. The surprise, the gift, the explanation, and the response. And I'm going to give you three quick applications at the end. Okay, let's begin. Let's look at the first thing that happened, the surprise. Verse 26 to verse 29. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, Luke is very intentional. When he tells the story, he says this, that Mary is greatly troubled what happened. 
So when Mary saw the angel and the angel speak to her, she was troubled. Why? First of all, you do not expect on daily basis for angel to come and visit your house. Okay, that is not ordinary. And the second thing that I think the, one, the part that makes her really feel troubled is the fact that the angel called her a favored one. Why? Because if you know anything about Mary's life at this point, she is anything but favored. Okay, let me give you a couple of her resume. At this time, many scholars believe that Mary is about 13 or 14 years old. Okay, so she's younger than most of us. She's only 13 or 14. She's a young teenager, and then she comes from a very poor family. Okay, she's an educated, unprivileged young girl. And she lived in a city called Nazareth. Now, you and I, we heard that word Nazareth a lot because we grew up in church. But pretty much in those days, Nazareth, a city that nobody knows where it is, to the point that people will ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So with another word, Jesus marries. Mary is a nobody living in an unknown city in the middle of nowhere. Her only aspiration in life is to be married to her fiancé and hopefully have children. That's it. That's her only hope. And out of the blue, come an angel and say, greetings, of favorite one. And this is the surprise of Christmas. Because the first gift of Christmas is not given to someone who have it all together. I mean, one of the Christmas songs that we like to sing is, All Come Ye Faithful, right? All Come Ye Faithful. But today, we change it a little bit, and the song that we just sang twice today is called, Come All Ye Unfaithful. Because that is the true message of Christmas. So a lot of time, when we think about Christmas, the Christmas is for those who are good, for those who are rich, for those who are well-off. But if you look at the story of Christmas, the first gift of Christmas is not given to someone who's well-off. It's given to someone who is pretty much unknown. I mean, think about it, right? God could have chosen any other girl but Mary. God could have chosen Caiaphas' daughter. Do you know who's Caiaphas, right? Caiaphas is the high priest of Israel. So if God has chosen Caiaphas' daughter, no one will be surprised because, well, she came from a very well-off family. She came from a family with a good background, good family. I mean, she has, she's qualified. She's definitely more qualified. She's educated. So no one will be surprised. But the surprise of Christmas is this. When God wants to give the very first gift of Christmas, He chose someone who is unknown, who lives in the middle of nowhere. He chose Mary. That means this. Christmas is not good news for those who think they are strong but those who are weak and needy. The surprise of Christmas is that God favored the lowly. God does not look at people who are, have it all well off. God is looking for someone who is needy and weak because the Christmas is for those who are weak and needy. Now, let's be clear about this. Okay, whenever we talk about Mary, um, there's part of Christianity they try to put more value on Mary than we're supposed to. Because they, they believe today that Mary is specifically chosen by God, favored by God because of her merit. And because of that, today, they pray to Mary because they believe that Mary has special access to God. So if you want to have you know, special access to God, you pray to Mary. But I think they're very wrong. Because in here, it's very clear that the reason that Mary is favored, not because something that Mary has... Mary is favored because God chose her out of everyone else. 
So the favor that Mary received is not favor, you know, because something out of her own merit. She's not the source of favor. She's the object of favor. And that's what it's meant to be favored, for God to choose you. In fact, the next line that the angel says is not only that Mary is favored because God chose her, but Mary is favored because the Lord is with Mary. And I believe that is the true meaning of favor. If I ask you, how would you define the favor of God? Let me tell you how we of the plan define favor of God. I am favored by God when I get a good grade, good grade for my HSC. I'm favored by God when I'm promoted at work. I am favored by God when I have good parking space every time we go out to dinner after church. I am favored by God when I get high distinction. So a lot of the when we think of the favor of God, this is what we do. Something good that happened in our life, we take a picture of it, we post it in Instagram, hashtag favor. Isn't that what we do? But yet, if we understand this story, the favor of God is not so much about getting promoted at work. The favor of God is not so much getting a good grade for your HSC. It's not so much about having happy family, having new car, apartment, house, of gadget. This story tells us that the favor of God is when you know that God himself is with you. It is knowing that we do not deserve him, but he come to be with us. That is the surprise of Christmas, that God favor the lowly. That's the first one. But then look at the second one. So that's a surprise. Mary was surprised. She was greatly troubled. And then she received the gift. Second, the gift. Verse 30 to 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, who will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this is the surprise gift of Christmas. When Mary received the gift from God, the gift is far beyond what you could ever imagine. Okay? When God has given her a gift, God tells her, the angel tells her, Mary, you will have a son. Okay? But your son will not be ordinary son. Okay, Gabriel is explicitly clear who the son is. There are a couple of attributes of the son. First, the son shall be named Jesus. Okay, this is very interesting because the word Jesus itself means God safe. But what is interesting about this fact is this, that Mary do not get to name her own children. Now, usually the right to name children belongs to Parents, because parents have the right and the authority to name, to name their children. So imagine if you're eight months pregnant, okay, it's big, okay, and it's big and almost explode, and you come to church, okay, and I see you with your big belly, and I say, hey girl, you shall name your son, if it's a boy, Yosia, if it's a girl, Yosiana, because that is the greatest name in Roxini International. What will you say to me? You will say, well, thank you, Pastor. But who do you think you are? This is my baby. This is my son. This is my daughter. The right to name my baby belongs to me and my husband, not you. Okay? So with another word, we know that by default, that parents have authority over their children and that the authority is expressed in naming their children. However, when Gabriel comes to Mary and Mary says, Mary, you will have a son. You shall name him Jesus. What Gabriel is saying to Mary is this, Mary, you can name all your other children. 
but not this one. Because this son is different, okay? You're not going to have authority over this son, but this son is going to have authority over you. You're not going to name him. He's going to name you. You're not going to save him. He's going to save you. That's why you got to call him Jesus, God save. In other words, the first thing that we know about this son is he is a savior. Okay, makes sense. But the second thing, not only a savior, but then the second criteria is the son will be great. Now, this is very interesting again. Because whenever in the Bible, whenever the Bible calls someone great, the Bible will give explanation why that person is great. For example, in, John chap- uh, in Luke chapter 1, earlier verses, when Gabriel speaks to Zechariah about his wife, Elizabeth, will conceive a son as well, Gabriel said that John will be great before the Lord. So there's explanation why he's great. But when he talks about Jesus, the Gabriel just say he will be great. At what? That's it. Full stop. It means the son of Mary will be the very definition of great. If you want to know what greatness is, you look at the son of Mary. He will be great in all things. And Mary at the time like, wow. Savior, great, awesome. And third, not enough, your son will be called the son of the most high. Okay, the word most high is one of the title of God of Israel in the Old Testament. So with another, the Gabriel said, your son will be called not only son of Mary, but son of God. And Mary at the time, maybe not that surprised because the term son of God is also used for God's chosen man, like prophets or kings is called also son of God. Or Mary, like, okay, he will be someone significant. But yet, the fourth criteria is what shocks Mary. The son will receive the throne of David forever. This is what Israel has been waiting for for years, okay? One day, God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16, it says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of man and with the stripe of the son of man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And now for hundreds of years, Israel is waiting for that son of David to come. Okay, first of all, this promise speaks of Solomon, yes. But it cannot be just about Solomon. Because God promised that the throne will be forever. He will sit and reign forever. So it cannot be Solomon. It got to be someone. So with another word, now Gabriel gives the biggest clue to Mary. Mary, your son is it. Your son is the one that all Israel has been waiting for for hundreds of years. And he will be the most powerful man on the earth. He will be ruler and his kingdom shall know no end. At this time, Mary is like, okay, hold on a second. Let me put it all together. First of all, my son will be called Jesus. He's a savior. My son will be the very definition of great. My son will be called the son of God. And my son will rule in the throne of David forever. Okay? And Mary at this time like, hold on a second. Are you telling me that my son is the Messiah? And there's one Christmas song. I know you know this Christmas song, right? This Christmas song asks the question, Mary, did you know 
That your baby boy. You know that song? Right? You do not know that song? Mary, did you know? Oh my gosh, guys. Listen to more radio, okay? This is one of the most popular songs. Basically, the song, the writer of the song asks the question, Mary, did you know that one day your son will rule the nation, will walk on water, okay? And I think that song is ridiculous because if Mary is alive today, Mary will ask, answer the question, says this, what makes you think that I do not know that my son will rule over the nation? Because Gabriel makes it really clear that the son of Mary will reign forever. Okay, this is how Timothy Keller, our favorite grandpa, put it. Okay, I cannot put it better than him, so I'm just going to quote him. Not from one of those quotes that you post. Okay, I, put, I picked different quotes. This is what Keller say. At Christmas Day, the infinite become finite. The immortal become mortal. The omnipotent literally become important because the creator of the universe became a single cell, the weakest and the smallest version of life in the universe. The ideal become real. The supernatural become natural. The metaphysical became physical. The invulnerable become vulnerable. The impossible become possible. I mean, that's why he's my favorite grandpa. No one can put it that way. And when Mary heard this, this is the, the identity of his son, her son, her head exploded. To which she asked for explanation. Number three, the explanation. Verse 34 to 37. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old, age, her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So after Mary here, who her son will be, she's confused. So she asked the question, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I want you to pay attention to Mary's question. Because early in the passage, Zechariah asked similar question to Gabriel. And when he asked that question, you know what Gabriel does? Gabriel makes him smooth. Look 1 verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So here's what happened. Two people asked a very similar question, but they received a totally different response from Gabriel. In response to Zechariah, Gabriel said, you do not believe me? I'm going to make you mute. Bam. In response to Mary, Gabriel answers the question. What makes the difference? Okay, what do you think makes the difference? Well, is that possible maybe Gabriel forgot to take his morning coffee that day before he talked to Zechariah and that's why he was grumpy? I don't think so. Here's what happened. You got to pay attention to the question because their question, even though it sounds similar, is very different. Zechariah is not sure whether he can believe what Gabriel has said and he asked for confirmation. While Mary believed what Gabriel has said, but she cannot imagine how it could happen. That means there are two kinds of doubt. One is called cynical doubt and one is an honest doubt. Cynical doubt, promise, look at the promise of God and say, there is no way this could happen. I cannot believe it. Therefore, I need another confirmation. That's Zechariah. 
honest doubt, look at the promise of God and say, God, this is too wonderful for me. I cannot comprehend it, but I want to learn. Teach me. This is Mary. Here's the difference. Cynical doubt is not seeking for an answer. Cynical doubt already assumes that there is no answer. Honest doubt admits that it does not know and asks questions in order to find answers. Do you see the difference now? That's the difference between there's a difference between honest doubt and cynical doubt. Cynical doubt is basically rooted in unbelief. While honest doubt says this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm struggling to believe, help me. And when Mary approached Gabriel with honest doubt, she received an answer, which tells me something about our God. He's not afraid of your honest doubt. See, when you question him about 2020 and you don't get it, Lord, I know you are good, but I don't see anything good come out of 2020. Bring your doubt to him. Ask him. He will explain to you. So Mary asked a question out of honest doubt. And at that time, here's what happened. Why does Mary have an honest doubt? Because here's what happened. Mary at that time is engaged already. See, girls in those days, they get married really young. She's 13 or 14, and engagement usually happens for last for a year. So she's going to get married by the time she's 15. I know some of you are like, what? But that's the culture of those days. They get married really young. And so Mary has a fiancé, but Mary never has sexual relationship with her fiancé. And she understands her biology. Okay, Biology 101 tells us this. In order for you to have children, what is the first thing that you need to do? Okay, you got to have sexual intercourse. That's biology 101. So Mary looked at her situation and I'm like, well, Gabriel, how can I have a son when I never have sex? And Gabriel answered, okay, Mary, don't worry. This one's special. You do not need sex for this one. Because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the presence of God will overshadow you and you will become pregnant because of that. And you will give a son even though you are you will give birth to a son, even though you are a virgin. And he shall be holy because he is the son of God. Now, I know the moment I say that, here's what throw people off every time I say this. Yes, this is 21st century. Are you telling me to believe in a virgin birth? That does not make any sense. Biology 101 tells me it is impossible. Virgin birth is such a nonsense. Yes. I'm not saying it is easy to believe in a virgin bird, but I am saying it is necessary for us to believe in a virgin bird. Because only virgin bird, only virgin bird preserve both humanity and divinity of Jesus. Only virgin bird tell us this that Jesus is fully human. Because the virgin bird tell us that Jesus is born of Mary. And this is crucial because Jesus has to be fully man in order for him to save us. Because the one who sins against God is human, and the only one that can save us from God is another human who completed what we failed to do. So it takes one human to fulfill what we failed to do. That is the requirement. But at the same time, it cannot be just God. It cannot just be human. Jesus has to be fully God as, fully God as well. Why? Because if Jesus is not fully God, He will also have sin problem like us. Here's what the Bible teaches. You and I, none of us is born innocent. None. All of us is born with propensity to sin, which means all of us, by nature, we want to do evil things, okay? 
I know many people do not believe that. Many people like to believe that we're born innocent. But let me tell you, that's wrong. How do I know? Let me prove it to you. If you do not believe that every children is born with sin, none, no children is born innocent, I dare you, join Sunday school ministry. And you will know no child is born innocent. Two stone, I mean two birds with one stone, right? Isn't that cool? Join us Sunday school ministry and you will know there's no way those creatures are innocent. They're not. Okay, all children have propensity to sin. Okay, and so if Jesus is not fully God, that means he inherits sinful nature from Adam, he will not be able to save us. He will not be able to live a perfect life that we could not. That's why virgin birth, even though I know it does not make any sense, it is absolutely necessary. Jesus has to be fully God and fully man at the same time. And only virgin birth give us that. Okay? And at this time, Mary's still confused. Okay, virgin birth, virgin birth, it still does not make any sense. And then the angel are so kind to her. The angel gave her a sign. Mary, do you remember your cousin Elizabeth? who was old and barren. Yes, I remember her. Let me tell you a good news about her. She is conceived, and right now, she's six months pregnant. You know what Gabriel does? Here's what Gabriel say. Mary, if God can open a barren womb, God can give a child to a virgin womb. Verse 37, okay, we love this word. And then the angels conclude, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can we just repeat that sentence together in count of three? One, two, three. For nothing will be impossible with God. And here's the good news of virgin birth. Listen to this. If God can give a child to a virgin womb, the question is, is there anything too hard for God to do in your life? Is there anything in your life that seems impossible right now? Is there a family problem that you cannot solve? Is there a financial problem that you cannot get rid of? Is there a relationship problem that you cannot reconcile? Is there a sin that you cannot forgive? Is there a person in your life that you think cannot be saved? Is there a wall in your life that you cannot climb? Hear the good news of Christmas. Our God is the God of the virgin birth. And if God can do that, the Gabriel saying to us, there is nothing impossible for God to do in our life. There's no problem too hard for Him to solve. There's no wall too thick for Him to destroy. There's no sin He cannot forgive. There's no relationship He cannot reconcile. There's no need He cannot meet. There's no sinner He cannot save. For there is nothing impossible with God. That is the good news of virgin birth. But I want you to pay attention to the response. My last point. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love Mary's response. So when Gabriel finally tells Mary everything, you know what Mary said? She has no objection. God, if that's your will, I'm willing to take you at your word. I'm willing to believe that I'm favored by you, and I'll accept that. But look at the way she described herself, okay? She does not say, wow. Thank God for favoring me that I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. So therefore, I shall call myself the mother of God. Mary does not say that. You know what Mary said? He says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
What a young girl. I mean, 13, 14 years old. And she says this. You know what? Let it be to me, whatever you want me to do, Lord. I am the servant of God. And when Mary signed up to give birth to Jesus, she does not sign up to be the queen mother of God's kingdom. She does not sign up for life or leisure. The moment she signed up to conceive Jesus, she signed up for a life of suffering. I mean, just, just think about it. Just think about what she has to go through after this. First, she must be willing to give up on her engagement. I mean, there's no guarantee that her fiancé will be able to accept a pregnant fiancé that he does not touch. But not only that, so she must be willing to raise her engagement. Second, she must be willing to give up on her reputation. I mean, think about all the absurd conversation that she will have to have with other people. Okay, she imagine she was walking around and people, oh, Mary, I can see that you're pregnant. How many months? Oh, seven months. Is that a boy or a girl? It's a boy. Who's the father? It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, and, and, and the moment you do that, you hear that, what do you do? 911, we have a crazy girl on the loose. That's what we do. And that's the kind of thing that Mary has to go through every single day. Because, and then even, let's say, let's say her fiance accepted her. You know what will happen? People count the date. You do. Hmm. Wait a minute. I thought the, the wedding was five months ago and she's seven months. Huh? And at that moment, she will forever be known as a woman who conceived, a woman who conceived a child out of wedlock. She has to ruin her reputation. And not only that, but the third thing that she has to, to be willing to go through is this, the physical pain of pregnancy. I'm glad I'm a man. But I heard... The pain of pregnancy is enough to turn an angel into a temporary demon. And here's the most important part. In those days, there is no epidural. I heard it helps. And fourth, she must be willing to witness the death of her own son. If you're a parent, you will agree that there's no greater pain that you can imagine and witnessing the death of your own child. And when Mary signed up to be the mother of Jesus, Mary signed up to one day witness the death of her own son. The gift of Christmas changes her life forever. And I believe if you and I receive the gift of Christmas, it changes our life forever. Three quick application, and I'm done. So when we receive the gift of Christmas, well, the first thing that we need to do, the first application is this. you got to receive the son. You have to receive the gift. Because here's our problem in life. Our number one problem in life is not that we don't have what we want. Our number one problem in life is we are sinful people. That means this, you and I, we are the enemy of God. See, we are not neutral. See, we are not on a good term with God. We are the enemies of God. But the radical claim of Christianity is this, that God made himself vulnerable to restore our relationship with him. If you know anything about relationship, you know this, you cannot, cannot enter a true relationship without becoming vulnerable first. Let me give you an example. Back in the days, 
I used to fight with my older sister all the time, okay? All the time. Like, she was my arch enemy, okay? Anyone fight with their siblings all the time, okay? How many of you are honest in the church? Some of you, okay? I fought with my, my sister all the time. She was my arch enemy. And every time we argue, we always, this is what we do, we always blame one another, okay? The conversation goes like this. It's your fault. You are the one who started the fight. No, it's your fault. You did it. Or no, it's you. Oh no, no, it's you. Oh no, 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 it's you. Oh no, 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 it's you. See, what happened is the no keep getting longer before eventually we begin to wrestle one another. Okay, that's me and my sister. I don't know how to say it with your sibling. Okay, that's what happened. Why? Because this is what happened. The relationship was falling apart because none of us are willing to take the blame. None of us are willing to admit that we were wrong. So we have these hard defenses, and we try to defense ourselves to the point that we, you know, we just blame other people. And as long as we do that, as long as our defenses are up, we are not able to have proper relationship with anyone. Think about it. But today, my sister is one of my best friends. Do you know what changed? Let me tell you what changed. Because along the way, we learn how to lower our defenses. The no is getting shorter. So, in my fight with her, it sounds like this now. It's your fault. You are the one who started the fight. No, it's your fault. You did it. Or no, it's you. Then me, being the mature one in a relationship, I will tell her, okay, maybe it's me. Yes, it's... Wait, what did you say? At that moment, something happened in the relationship. At that moment, something happened that changes the relationship. Somehow, the relationship started to heal. Okay, she might be, most of the time, she might be 90% wrong, and I'm only 10% wrong most of the time. But when I admit my 10% wrong, and I'm say I own it, I am fault for this 10%, it what happened, I make myself vulnerable. When I do that, it created space for the relationship to be restored. By the way, all I'm telling you is false story. I am the one who never <laughs> says sorry. She's the one who always makes herself vulnerable. And that's what happened. Because that's something that you and I know. In order for the relationship to get better, we have to be vulnerable. Was it easy? Of course not. It was very hard. But was it worth it? Yes. Because today, she is one of my best friends. But it began with me or her letting our defense down. And this is the radical claim of Christianity. God is 100% right. You and I, 100% wrong. But God lowered his defense. He made himself vulnerable. He literally became breakable for us. He became fragile. He, the God of the universe, became a baby that could be killed. He made himself vulnerable. Why? So that he can restore relationship with you and me. And he came, become a baby. He grew up and lived a perfect life that we could not and die a miserable death that we deserve. So what? So that he can take all the blame. The 100% wrong of us. He took it all so that when you and I put our faith in him, he gave us his 100% righteousness. Don't miss it. Jesus Christ made himself vulnerable and gave himself as the true gift of Christmas so that we can have relationship with him. See, Christmas is God's way of saying this. 
Guys, there's no other way to be saved. The only way for you to be saved is for God to humble himself that he became like us. He became one of us. He became vulnerable. If there's any other way, Jesus will not have come. But there is no other way. But the good news of Christmas is Jesus has come as the first gift of Christmas. Have you received the Son? But second, comfort in suffering. See, when Gabriel tells Mary that she's favored by God, Gabriel also tells her, Mary, the Lord is with you. Now, why this is important? Because Gabriel knows exactly, God knows exactly what kind of life Mary had to go through. The kind of pain and suffering that Mary had to go through. That's why from the very beginning, Gabriel makes sure that Mary knows, Mary, you will experience so many pain in life, but here's the promise. The Lord is with you. Okay? Because here's something that we know by experience. What do we need most in our time of suffering? This is a tough lesson that I learned over the years. Back when I was studying, uh, I started as pastor, uh, early days, Rock Youth International days. I remember whenever people come up to me and share me their struggle, here's what I do. I will give them a biblical theology one-on-one lesson. I will give them the five reasons they should not do the things they do, the five reasons they should not feel the way they feel, and the five reasons why they need to repent, Okay. You guys, some of you guys went through that with me. And at, then, at the end of that conversation, you know what happened? I did not help you. I only succeeded in making you cry. How many victims do we have in this? So don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. But I know a lot of you. Okay, I did that with a lot of you. Because I assume what you need is biblical theology 101. But over the years, I understand something. Yes, there's time for biblical theology 101. There's a time for the right doctrine. There's a time for you to embrace the Word of God and cast your eyes upon God and rather than your situation, there's time for that. But you and I understand that the first thing that we need, the most important thing that we need in our time of suffering is not a lecture, a presence. What you and I need in our time of suffering is a presence. And that is the gift of Christmas. Because every religion of the world has some kind of answer to the question of suffering. But only Christianity gives us the presence of God in the midst of suffering. See, the God of Christianity is not the God who says He's absent from suffering. No, no. The God of Christianity is the only God who says, I entered into the world, your suffering. I will come to be with you. He came, became one of us. He was wounded. He suffered just like us so that you and I can have the confidence that He is with us in our suffering. And that's what we need the most, the presence. But the third total surrender. If you have received the gift of Christmas, then the only appropriate response to the gift of Christmas is one, total surrender. Because if the God of the universe humbled himself, become breakable for you and me, to save you and me completely, not partially, not 90%, not 99%, but 100%, if that is true, if that is true, the message of Christmas, God save us completely. That means there's, there's not a single inch in our life where we can rightly say, it is mine. Everything in our life is God. Here's the question. Have we surrendered all to Him? Have we surrendered our relationship to Him? 
Have we surrendered our daily work to Him? Have we surrendered our ministry to Him? Have we surrendered our family to Him? Have we surrendered our future to Him? Or do we still want to receive the gift of Christmas, yet we want to be controlled, in control of our own life? Because here's what Christmas tells us. There's no such thing as partial surrender. The gift of Christmas, if you receive it, you only have two choices. You either give God all of you or none of you. 100% or nothing at all. Because that is what Jesus does for us. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus pleaded to God the Father. He said, God, if possible, can you remove the cup of your wrath from me? But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. At that moment, Jesus surrendered his life completely to the hand of the Father. And because of that, today you and me have the good news of Christmas. Because Jesus completed what he came for. Therefore, if you receive the gift of Christmas, our only appropriate response will be, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you, the God of the universe, humble yourself, that you, the infinite, become finite, that you, the immortal, become mortal in order for you to save us and to be with us and give us the confidence that you will never, ever leave us. So God, today I pray that if there's any of us here in this place or listening to online, we have yet to receive the Son. We have yet to receive the gift of Christmas. I pray that today, Holy Spirit, that you soften our heart to receive that gift because that gift is given to those who are needy and weak. And we confess that we are weak and needy and we desperately need that gift. And if there's any of us, Lord, we maybe are struggling. 2020 has been a really bad year where we experience many pain and suffering. I pray that today you reminded us, Lord, that the goodness of Christmas, that you are with us in our suffering. We have comfort in our suffering. And for the rest of us, Lord, if we're struggling to trust you, to surrender all of our life to you, remind us, Lord, the goodness of Christmas that you have first and foremost given your very life. You surrender everything for our sake so that we can trust you and surrender everything into your hands. And we know that you're good no matter what. Teach us to surrender to you. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.